Muslims by Royal Islamic Studies Center in 2021. Uh, he has taught at uh, NYU uh, Law and Ethics class. Uh, mashallah, uh, Lyme, he's very well known. And he also has a program called Swiss, which where it's an online adult learning program, which said, inshallah, maybe we ask at the end, if you kind of say some uh, stuff about that too, for people who are interested. Uh, so today we are going to have a talk and I told him that I know there's a lot of other things that have been happening and people might even want to kind of have a discussion on Palestine. Uh, so maybe at the end, um, if you have any questions, I get, we, uh, the chef might have his own thoughts. Uh, but we're first, we're going to first focus on, uh, some thoughts, uh, on, uh, um, a book that he had kind of wanted us to kind of learn, especially all of us have kids and then, you know, and some of us are still, uh, uh, children of parents. So inshallah, Fala, so this could be uh, a good learning experience. So with that, uh, undivided attention as I see more and more people trickling in. So Chef, we apologize, but you know, sometimes it's kind of getting everyone here. Take some time. I don't know, it's okay, not apologize. Sir, Barakallahu Fee. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad khatim al-Anbiya'i wa al-Wursaleem. Ala alihi wa sahbatihi ajma'in. I feel like we should talk about Palestine, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm tempted to just you know, do that, but I want to be also respectful of the, uh, what was expected, uh, from the people. So we'll, we'll stick to, uh, the topics. Um, but of course we, we should appreciate history. Um, Gaza actually has an incredible history as we lead into our discussion about Al-Baji, Al-Mariki. You know, Gaza, actually its name is Gaza Hashim because Hashim Ibn Abdul Manaf the grandfather of Sayyidina Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi he's buried in Gaza. And if you read in Surah Al-Quraysh, Rihlat al-Shita'i wal-Saif, those business journeys that the Meccans, that he started, Hashim started, the journey to the north was to Gaza. Like that's where that was. And so that's why today, till now, his grave is still there. Uh, hopefully, I don't know about now, but up until a few days ago, Actually, it's next to the Azhar of Gaza, where I graduated from in, in Egypt. Uh, also, uh, Imam Shafi'i is from Gaza. He said, He wrote a poem about it. He said, I missed Gaza, Khanat, Kiba'data, Farruqi, Tmani. Like, after I left it, it deceived me. Like, you know, when you leave something, then you appreciate it. Like, oh, subhanAllah, you know, I missed that place. Sa'allahu ardan. He said, like, may Allah bless, you know, this place of Gaza. So, Sayyidina Imam Shafi, radiallahu anhu, he was from, he was Ghazawi, Aslan. Imam Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, Asqalan is the old name for that area of Palestine, which is about 20 kilometers from Gaza. But that whole place was called Asqalan. And he was from there. And the Prophet ﷺ in authentic hadith, he said, the best hijrah is the hijrah of Ibrahim ﷺ, meaning who migrates the way that Ibrahim did. So we know that he migrated to an area of Asqalan and specifically Gaza. That's why Imam Ibn Taymiyyah said that this hadith shows that there is a virtue and a blessing to Gaza. Rahimahullah. Also in Gaza is Masjid Umari, which is the masjid that was built by Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu that was destroyed in the Crusades and then rebuilt by the Turks. Ibn Kathiri says in Al-Bidai wa Nihaya that there used to be like a lot of 
crowded lessons. And Jami'i al-Umari, yani named after Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. And also the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Afdal ribat the best place for a person to stay consistent in protecting the Muslims is this area that we now know as Gaza. This hadith is sahih. That's why some ulama, like, and also puts, that's why Sufyan al-Thawri, radiallahu anhum, he went and he lived there for 40 years, uh, 40 days, excuse me, just so he could be from the blessings of this hadith. So he went there. So you had ulama, like the great, Grandson of Sayyidina Umar Zayn, Zayd ibn Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Umar Khattab, he died there. And he died there in Ribat, in Gaza. He's buried in Gaza. Abad ibn Samit, the, the great companion of the Prophet, he's buried next to Babu Rahma. So, like, there is a lot of history that is potentially going to be destroyed, right? Most importantly, human beings' lives who are being destroyed. But history allows us to maintain an anchor, an anchor into a place. And I can say that I was just in Andalus. I went to Spain twice the summer, one for academic uh, conference and the other with my family. SubhanAllah, like, when you see where Muslims were, you still see the impact of Islam, the khair that Muslims brought. You feel the, the greatness of Islam, the potential of Islam. So I say that because People ask me, who's Imam al-Baji? That's unfortunate if we don't know who Imam al-Baji is. Rahimahullah, Imam al-Baji is so important that even now in Portugal, there's a city called Baja. Out of everything that happened, the last inquisition was 1742. Like it wasn't that long ago, the final inquisition. They have a monument dedicated to him. And Imam al-Baji is one of the great scholars and judges and poets uh, and Madiki jurist from Spain, or it's now in Portugal. And he was most famous for his explanation, Al-Muntaqa of the Muwatta, which is almost like 20 volumes, I have it. And a book called Al-Ihkam and Usul al-Fiqh, which is two volumes. And then his debate, and this is important for us to think about now, against Ibn Hazm. As Imam Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah al-Andalusi, he led sort of an academic revolt and he was actually forced to move to Majorca. And Al-Baji, he met him in Majorca and he debated him. Unfortunately, like the, the script is lost, but he defeated him and he defeated like this Zahiri sort of approach to Islam that we see now kind of taking hold amongst especially like TikTok ox. You know, and people like that, Al-Baji, specifically, actually destroyed the madrasa of Ibn Hazm in his debates with him. He, he respected him, and in fact, Ibn Hazm, he praised him, so it wasn't like he banished him or censored him, but it, like, exposed the flaws in the Zahiri argument. Very similar in the last 75 years of what Sheikh Mahalufi did in Bulugh al-Sul, in his small book, a great Azhari scholar, again, unpacking the ideas of Shokani and Ibn Hazm that have led to kind of the, the Wahhabi sort of way of looking at things, if you will. So Imam al-Baji, outside of that, also he was a father. And one of the treasures that he left us that hasn't been translated, alhamdulillah, we translated it. As he mentioned, I run an online school. We have like 500 youth also all over the world 
in our online programs as well as adult education that follows the Azhar system. But for everybody, we also teach Qira'at with Ijazah, Warsh Qadud, Ibn Kathir, Habs, uh, you name it, Arabic language, um, for only $9.99 a month for your whole family. SubhanAllah. And a free app and text. This is one of the texts that we will, we just finished translating, alhamdulillah. And we hope to um, release it in the future. Usually we send out books once a month free to our subscribers to use, especially homeschoolers, right? Homeschoolers, Islamic studies teachers. As he said, I, I my degree is in elementary education, so subhanAllah, I signed up for a life of perennial poverty. You know, as an educator, we know how that works. Uh, and then I added more to that when I became an imam, alhamdulillah. So I understand the need for resources, especially as a parent. I have four children. I have a 23-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old. Yeah, exactly. So I'm poor and I don't sleep. SubhanAllah, alhamdulillah. Um, but I've been in that situation where I had to teach in Islamic schools, and there's like a lack of resources. We also share lesson plans, things like that, pedagogy for people trying to teach their kids. The best hood is parenthood. So we're going to read from a very interesting letter that was saved, you know, in, 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 in Granada, there's a square called Maidan Rangla, you know, the, the slaying of the Andalusians, if you speak Arabic, is that after Mima Sakini, they will mention bat. That's why it's not Hamra. They call it what? Hambra. So their dialect, the Andalusian dialect, which is preserved, we don't need AI to preserve it, is that after Mim was Sukun, they have bat. So Ramla became what? Rambla. This is their lahja. Like in Egypt, you say, Agululak, Aululak. Right? They have their own sort of slang. So there's actually a place in Granada called Maidan Rambla, still there today. That's where they buried, burned all the Mahtul Ta'at in Granada. It took three days to burn all of them. But subhanAllah, somehow, some of the historical legacy of Spain, Andalusia, was saved. And from what was saved is this letter of Al-Baji Al-Mariki to whom? To his sons. And it's very beautiful because now you see oftentimes we create an image of scholars that doesn't allow them to be human. So here's we don't let them make mistakes. But here you see like a very honest letter of a father to his sons. Who is to us the scholar, but... Like when I go home, I'm not sway web, I'm honey and baba. Right? That's that's who you are once you close the door. So we'll read through his letter, inshallah ta'ala, and take a few lessons from it. And uh in the future, inshallah, uh hopefully it will be a benefit. We'll we'll release it for free, like so people can use it, inshallah. He says, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. He says, My children, which is like a beautiful way to speak to our our his sons were adults. But in the Quran, if you notice, you see when the prophets talk to their children, you know, Ya You know, they use a term of endearment which is called tasghir in Arabic, like Suhaib, like Hussein. Like the only thing I can liken it to in English is like Puki or like Lini. You know, it's like that kind of meaning. It's a term of endearment. So he begins and he addresses his children. Showing his his love for them. His investment in them. He says, My children, may Allah guide both of you and enlighten you and grant you success, protect you, and bestow upon you the best of this world. And these are the words of a parent. Right? Who 
who we make dua for like this is our kids. And the hereafter, and shield you from the perils of this dunya with his mercy. So one lesson, we, we take two lessons from this. Number one, and I've seen this in 20-something years now, I've worked in the Muslim community, that sometimes parents are too timid, and we don't push in. But oftentimes, our children need guidance. I talked to one young Muslim, and he said, I wish my father would have rudded me. Like, I wish my father would have pushed in and gave me advice sometimes when I needed it. Sometimes we're shy because we don't want to, we have, especially if you come from like my wife's Lebanese, Irani, you don't want to lose not only your religion, but your culture, right? There's a lot at stake, a lot of pressure on us as parents not to push our children too far away. But what I appreciate about Al-Baji and then even the prophets in the Quran is they push into the relationship with their children. They perform. One time a man, he came to me and he said at the Islamic school, uh, my son sent a love letter to a sister in second, uh, seventh grade. I said, subhanAllah, what did he say? He said he proposed marriage at 12, mashallah. And he said, what should I do now? I said, be a father. Like this is your chance. Like now it's very easy to perform as a parent when things go well, just like it's easy to be a husband or a wife when things work out. But the true test of relationships are when things are, they need to be navigated. They need to be a little bit uncountable. Some of the greatest accomplishments of the Sahaba were when arguments happened. Like the Quran itself is the argument between Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Amr al-Khattab. Some of the greatest efforts of the Sahaba came like Surah Al-Ahzab when they had to face adversity. So as a parent, don't shy away from adversity. Ask Allah to give you tawfiq and push in and be wise. So he pushes in. And I love the fact that Al-Baji was a busy person. He was a Qadi. If you go to Granada, actually a Varanata, right at the front, before you walk on like the Arab street, you're going to see this massive structure. That was the place of Qadha. Every Friday, the, the people would come and give rulings to people in Varanata. Al-Baji was in Qurtuba, so he was the very busy person, but he still takes time to push in to his son, his, his two sons. He didn't have any daughters, he only had two boys. The second thing is he makes dua for them. Like we should make a lot of dua for our kids, man. And I've seen this, subhanAllah, where nothing else works but dua in my own life, subhanAllah. And Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani was a great scholar from Egypt. If you're from Egypt, there's a, a gate called Bab al-Sha'rani, named after him, the gate of Sha'rani. And he laments in his uh, memoirs how his son wasn't a good person. And he was a sheikh Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani. And then finally, you know, later on he says, the problem was I was saying, I, 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 I. And I forgot, Allah is the one who's in control, not me. So he said, Like I left my son to Allah and then his son became better. So never like, if you lose hope in your parenting, don't lose hope in Allah. If you lose hope in your marriage, don't lose hope in Allah. Ask Allah to make islah. 
So he makes dua for him, his children. And this is a pattern in the Quran. Sayyidina Ibrahim, way before he's married, way before he has kids, he says, Make me one who prays and make my family those who establish salat. Yeah, sure, sure. So, thank you, so much. So, like, keep making dua for them. And, well, like, I remember there was a, a black American brother who took shahada with me. And he had learned quite a bit about Islam. He was a historian. And he said to me, I am the answer of my ancestors to ask. It was like, I like, I had to like, hold on, man, I didn't think about it, you know? He was like, because my family were Muslim and then, then Islam was taken from us. And now I am the jawab of their dua. What can I have a woman? Saliham. So never underestimate like the good you do, the du'as you make for your children. That shalakh will come. He says, when both of you reach the age in which religious duties become incumbent upon you, I actually believe that we need to have shahada seminars for emergent adults in our community. And they do like a two or three week intensive in the summer. And then, it, then they take shahan, even though they're Buddhists. And we should do a shahada party for them. Because what's happening is we don't reinforce religious responsibility. Society is furnishing for our young people what responsibility is when you're 18 and you're 21, right? Young men now are encouraged to be very immature. We love our boys and raise our daughters. It's not healthy. Whereas the sound, and I talk to young people that teach online about this, like you're Mokanda if you're not Mokanda. Like either you're responsible or you're not. You're responsible to Allah or you're not. So I love again how Banji frames their life as being now you have entered a point where you are responsible for how you live your life. Not to me, not to Mama, not to Baba, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, so now that you've reached this age of religious responsibility, it is incumbent upon you in the obligation to fulfill the rights of Allah, your creator. And I am assured that you both have attained this level. Like, I, I know you. You're ready for this moment. It's very important in parenting that you appreciate what we talk about in education are sort of moments of achievement. You create a resume of moments of achievement in the life of yourself and your kids. So they have a historical resume of being with you. So like you went from this to this, this, that's why we were there at school with our parents. Our parents took us to school. We'll never forget it. Or our caregivers took us to school. They did this, they did this, they did this. So Abadji is saying, now I know you, and now you're moving on into like the next part of the journey. And the next part of the journey is adulthood. And adulthood comes with responsibility. He says, I am aware that you have the ability to comprehend reminders and to discern what is right and wrong. You have the ability to moralize. One thing that he does that's very important is he amplifies their sense of agency. Sometimes as parents, we don't do a good job of this. We kind of mute our children's agency because it's safer for us to be parents that way. Whereas Islam actually encourages us to 
encourage and amplify agencies so that person can be confident enough not to be a slave to dunya. Like to be a slave to Allah, to be a servant to Allah, needs confidence. You've got to be confident if you're a high school kid in America, right? If you're a Palestinian kid in America right now, you got to have some swagger to you. Right? You have to be able to push in with confidence. Quran says, push into Islam. So while he's talking to his children, he's also noting that ultimately they are responsible for themselves. And they have now reached this point where they have to take charge of their lives. I can't tell you how many Muslim parents I've seen teach, treat their 30-year-olds like they're 13. You're creating a big freaking baby problem for whoever they marry. And, and sometimes we can overparent. What does it mean that we overparent? We parent to the point that we don't parent failure. We should parent failure. Fail right. My son asked, what if I get it wrong? I said, you get it wrong, right? Because failure teaches you. I asked my teacher, when I was memorizing the Quran, how did you memorize the Quran so well? They said, I forgot it well. Right? There, there's a motivation to failure. So I like to tell Muslim parents, be sort of a, a wall that they don't feel, the list of them. What if they make a mistake? Similar. They're not NBI. And if you don't, and I don't, teach our children the emotional toolbox needed for failure, we're not creating a whole child. We're not creating a whole adult. Someone that appreciates the layers of nuances of life. So he amplifies their autonomy while locating himself not as a supervisor, but an advisor. <laughs> Also, what happens when we overparent is that when God protect our young people, if they fail as adults, then we blame ourselves because we, we overparented. So now we are intrinsically linked to the failure, whereas we shouldn't teach not only to be successful, but to fail. But fail right. Take some risks. I have a friend, he sold his company for $1.8 billion. He's a Muslim two years ago. Practices. And I ask him, what type of people do you hire? He says, people who are not afraid to fail. Because that's how I learned a lot about life. We're not encouraging us to run into failure. We're talking about failure as the organic outcome of hard work and things just didn't work out. Then he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, I felt it incumbent upon me to present to you advice and to make my words clear to you. This is out of fear that I may be overtaken by death. He was old now. So the Badji in this time was entering the last phases of life. So he wants to take advantage of the time and advise his children. And this is actually something that we notice amongst the early scholars. They married late. Imam Ahmed married when he was 50. He said, like, I dedicated my whole life to learning until I was 50. Sheikh Muhammad al-Hassan al-Dindo, our teacher, I asked him one time. Like, how long are you going to learn? He said, time 50. Although he had already had children. The point is, oftentimes we find with the early scholars, they actually dedicated probably two-thirds of their life to learning. And then they got married, had kids. So they had kids and they were older. So he says, like, I worry that I may be leaving this dunya. 
And in doing so, I want to impart to you both necessary teachings, training, guidance, and understanding. What a letter. And what a way to push in as a parent. And he makes to eyes and may I extend my life and get it, grant us all enlightenment and understanding and know that success is only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, but in what I anticipate occurs that the end of my life is near and I have no more hope to live in this world. And that comes between us that it is in this that I draft to you and I compose to you a methodology of our righteous ancestors that will make you profitable in this world and the next. He said, I entrust Allah with your faith and worldly affairs. And I ask him to safeguard your present and future. And I delegate to him all your situations. He is sufficient for me and you both. What a, what the language again, if you're a father or a mother, you feel it. The Adam actually is very beautiful, but I just read in English for time. Then listen to what he says if you're a parent. It's very beautiful. Know that no one advises you more sincerely than me. That's how you talk to your children. You will not try so crazy. And I want children to listen to me. It's not easy to parent. I have four children, right? So my the latest firmware update was born a year ago. So I thought, you know, subhanAllah, three kids, like this is going to be easy. But like this new suede, 2.4 is a unique rocket ship shooting through the universe that I have no idea how to deal with. Lana, her name's Lana. I said, Lana, taqul lana wala alayna. Right, if you speak Arabi, Lana means for us, alayna means against us. I said, don't be alayna, be Lana. Right? And I realized, like, I'm like, I know nothing about this. And this is the fourth. So young teenagers in particular, sometimes you want us to understand you. You need to understand us too. Especially as parents, we worry about things that you don't necessarily understand yet. That's just the reality of being a parent. We think when we're younger, when we get older, life becomes easier. But as we get older, what happens? Our responsibilities dilate. You know, my father died two months ago. And I got a phone call. My father's not Muslim. From his attorney that said, he left you in charge of his whole estate because you're Muslim. I was like, what? What? I'm like, yeah, he trusts you even though you are a Christian. You want to die Christian? Don't worry. I was like, oh, what? How do you, you know? I thought he got on Team Shahada, Crescent, the Crescent Society of Oklahoma. But they're like, because you're Muslim, he knows you'll, like, you'll handle things correctly. So then suddenly I'm like, my responsibility, I have kids, I have to take care of my father. Oh, right. So as we get older, teens, you have to appreciate the fact that your parents also are insecure. Your parents also are worried. We don't necessarily know if we're doing a good job parenting. And so one of the things you can do it is push into your parents and say, like, you're doing a good job. I love you. You know, any parent will tell you when your child comes and just, like, gives you a massage on your shoulder, you're good for, like, the next quarter. Right? That quarter is good. If you're child says something kind to you, it takes you through the week in a different way. So just as you and your teens need validation and advocacy 
your pants to your two men. It's very important. So Adbachi says, there is no one who can advise you more sincerely than me. And no one is more compassionate in his love to you than me. There's no one on earth whom I'd be pleased to see surpass me and outperform me in both of you. And I don't regard anyone higher in religious and worldly matters than you. Subhanallah, he centers his children. Do we act this way? My wife and I have a rule. We go home and leave our phone at the front door. It's hard, man. Try it. So it's hard. Until they go to sleep. And then you want to schedule moments. So we have like cozy time. What's cozy time? 30 minutes before bed. We all get together. Turn down the light. I can't do candles to my one-year-old freaking loses her mind. Thinks she's at a rave. Like, you know, we're at Twilight Candle for her to be calm. She's like, yeah, you know, Mary was like, stop, she's losing her mind. <laughs> so we had to turn all the lights to keep her to go to sleep. Told her she's a unique, unique rocket walking through the space and light speed. But we schedule moments of attention. So you want to schedule moments of attention as a family for each other. Not just for the children, for you too. You need it also. So here we see Al-Baji, he centers things around his children. He gives that moment. That's why it's called present. It's a gift. Are you in your present? He says, and here's the first thing, know that we as a family have always been graced with virtue. What he does, I don't have time to go through it. He, li he lists all of their family members who were known to be awliya, arifin, ulama, salihin, mujahideen. And this is very important for you in America, right? Like my wife is from Ahnabayt Rasul, alayhi salam. Like, I told my kids, like, you're from Darasharaf. Not out of arrogance, but it's very important. I said earlier to construct meaning. That's why one of the reasons the moment is important. It allows us to construct a connection to the Prophet That's very important. Whether you like it or not, that's fine. But I'm saying, for those of us who advocate for it, one of the, especially those of us who became Muslim, because my family are dirt farmers from Oklahoma, but they go back to Ireland, they're potato farmers. It's not a lot of romantic Islamic history in that, Right? But when well, I tell my kids, you're from the Ashraf on your mother's side, and we honor the family of the Prophet Sallallahu that creates meaning. You have to think about creating meaning and even mystery in your children. And that's why when you talk maybe to like Anjad or others, how important it is to go back to where your family's from. How, how meaningful it is to pass by the sajid that your grandparents used to pray in or that some great-grandfather built where there was some uncle there who taught. That stuff builds meaning. Why the processor wouldn't be sent to the desert, not just for language, to connect to his source. So Apache, he goes to this very long description about who their family is. So they can understand that your past definitely leads to your future. So if you know of great people in your family, you should tell orally actually those stories to your children what that means. When I started to talk about the oral history of Gaza, all of you listen, because like it, it brings meaning now to the situation. It brings a, a spice, there's salt on it, right? It brings it up to life. That's why Allah says, These stories we tell you, O Muhammad, 
about those prophets, it's meant to strengthen you, to give you resolve. Junaid used to say, The stories of the righteous are soldiers of them. That's why in classical system of Sufi education, one of the things we teach are the lives of the righteous. The Muslims, well, why was it so popular? It's not even a true story. No one on TV, but we all liked it. Why? Because it gave us a hero. It gave us meaning. People start buying the hat. Where the Uthul hats anywhere? The guy did a tour of America, the actor. He's like, people call me, he told me, people call me Uthul. It's like my real name. They <laughs> think I'm that person, right? So the power of narrative, what your family's known, is very important. My four-year-old, she says to me, I want to go to Oklahoma. I'm like, girl, you don't know Oklahoma. Why? Because that's my family. She knows her Jintu. She knows her grandpa from Lebanon, right? But she doesn't know grandpa and grandma. So she, I want to go to Oklahoma because that creates narrative. We see now young generations eat Palestinians, Young millennial Palestinians, very passionate right now, leading 120,000 people in the UK yesterday. 50, 60,000 people, my, my nieces in DC, tied into this because that is their historical narrative. We appreciate that. And so then he says, after mentioning some of the righteous people from their families, that feels now that I am about to follow in their footsteps, begin reminding them of his mortality. Sheikh Sha'arawi has a great state that I saw with my last two kids. And that is, he said, your children should be raised by you and by their grandparents. I always thought that was a strange statement. So people ask him why. He said, because your grandparents teach you how to die. Your parents teach you how to live. Well, you see your batch now reminding them, listen, I'm not always going to be here for you. Unfortunately, al-mufaraqa is happening. So I hope that you will continue the legacy of your family. I've seen the barakah of this in strange ways. I received a phone call one time from a young woman, actually an Instagram message. You can always tell it's a non-Muslim because it's like, hi. You know, it's not like, I'm a bad wadi, You know, it's none of that. It's just like, hello, Mr. Webb. You know, stuff like that, right? So three years ago, second or third day before Ramadan, I received a message from a young woman, a teenager, Who's Mr. Webb? Hello. And uh, she's like, I really need to talk to you. I said, sure. She made an appointment with the office and got on the phone with her. And she was telling me that she was adopted. She wasn't sure where she was from, but that she kept seeing the Prophet in her dream like 30 times. She asked me, is it, is it important if you see Muhammad, peace be upon him, in your dreams? Like, who are you? And I said, because it happened like 30 times. 30 times? And so then I said, describe him, and she described him well, it was like I was reading the Shema'il, like the way she, she described him perfectly. So then I said to her, like, who are you? You know, she's like, well, in the dream, the prophet, peace be upon him, hugs me, pulls me close to him. Is that bad? It's okay, don't worry. There's no halal out of dreams. And so she said, I'm adopted, but I have a piece of paper that is rumored to be my lineage, but it's in a language that I don't, don't recognize, and it's written... Um, left to right. Oh, please, the Arami. So it was her Shajaratul Ad, her family tree in Arabi. And she's Hassani. She's from Imam Hussein's family. She was from the Ashraf. She was from the family of the Prophet. She had been adopted. So I said to her, I know what your dream means now. 
So I said, if your physical family left you, your grandfather came back to get you. Sayyidina Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa And she took shahada. SubhanAllah. Like, don't underestimate the power of your ancestors, man. The barakah. And we know that our ancestors in Surah Al-Zumar, the souls of our ancestors and us, we can meet in dreams. Allahu yatawaffal al-fusahina mutiha. The Prophet said that the, the, the people in the Barzakh, they actually ask about us to people who die, the authentic hadith of Nasa'i, they ask the people about their ancestors. And the authentic hadith, also we know that the people in the grave, when we go visit graves, they can hear us. We can say, As-salamu alaykum, da'aru qawlun mubiq, wa inna insha'Allah lahiqun, antum salabiqun, wa nahnu lahiqun. So our relationship with our ancestors is not one that they just died. But alhamdulillah, there is another realm that we may meet them like, for example, in our dreams. We ask Allah Ta'ala, he said, so the first thing I want to advise you after this is the advice of Yaqub to his sons. What are you going to worship after Angkor? We think about generational wealth. We should also think about generational spirituality. Generational iman. How do we that my children will inherit from me my deen? How are they going to inherit uh, this deen from us? Number one, we worship together as a family. Praying together, man. I've seen a difference in families that pray together. Not all the time. Got things going on, of course. But I'm saying at least. Because what you're doing is you're scheduling attention. That goes back to what I talked about earlier. You're, you're deliberately pushing into family. So praying together. I actually prefer me. I don't like to go to iftars at the masjid because I have no time for myself. Honestly. I'll be honest about it. When you see imams and teachers come into the lesson, sometimes you don't have to crowd them. Like, give them space, man. You know? So my wife and I actually don't, in Ramadan, do a lot of out iftar, go places. We do a few. But primarily, because I travel a lot as well, we try to fit, deliberately make sure we do the family iftar. It's very important and so forth. If you think about how Islam structures these acts of worship, they're very, they're, it's a great way to buttress your family time. Making dua together once a week, like the last hour on Jummah before Rabbareh, being dua together as a family sometimes. Have a weekly gathering of dua, have a repeat weekly gathering of salawat if you can. If you do it, they do it. If you theorize it, they don't do it. That's why the Prophet is Qur'an yamshi, not Qur'an yatakalla. Prophet is the living Qur'an, not the talking Qur'an. So how do we extend generational spirituality and we don't outsource it to others? And not only do we do, like I just met Amjad, like he's playing ball, his daughter plays ball, like we do things together. You know, like we spend time together in, in different situations. And the second advice he said I have for you is the advice of Luqman, that to shikbilahi in ali. Say the little man said to his sons, don't commit shirk. He says, I emphasize this both to you with incredible anticipation, hoping that you will have an attachment and adherence to Allah. Ta'alluq billah. Like you connect to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa man yaba ta'bi bayr al-islami deenana falayyu qabbala binhu wa wufan akhiratimu al-hasirin. Because... If we're not connected to Allah, we'll be losers, as the verse says in the hereafter. And if you die upon this way, 
that Allah has chosen and avoid what he has prohibited, I hope we will meet each other. And this is a short tool. Those who die and their children follow them in Iman and will break them together in the hereafter. So his love for his children is not only regulated to this world, but I hope to see you again. That's why sometimes, you know, years ago, people bombed, I think it was Daesh, an orphanage in Afghanistan of someone, Ta'ida criminals and I collected all the hadith about children who die and now we see in Gaza is murderers killing infants you know there are hadith in the Prophet وسلم, that said a child that dies in infancy or a child that dies before birth will refuse to enter paradise until he is about her parents into paradise subhanAllah say I'm not going in until they come but for women that have miscarried Prophet said that that child will drag the mother into Jannah as she struggled to keep the child from being dragged from her womb. The Prophet he mentioned numerous narrations about children that will be reunited, alhamdulillah, with their families. So Al Baji says, I want to see you again. Again, it's imparting a sense of legacy, not just a legacy that's rooted in wealth and power, but a legacy that's linked to the hereafter. It's very important that we do that. You know, the founder of Jama'at, Tabriq, Muhammad Yunus, Mawlana Yunus, how did he become Mawlana Yunus? Like, how did he become that person? Actually, he was born, he was very sickly as a child. And he struggled with his weight. He was very, very fragile. And his grandmother was a Alimite, Abida. And she would see him and say, when I see you, I smell the, fra the fragrance of the Sahaba. SubhanAllah. And then when he went to study in, in Delhi, and he entered the madrasa, one of the teachers was teaching and he turned to him and said he never met him before in his life. He said, I smell the fragrance of Sayyidina Omar. That's how he became Mawlana Yudas. When Madik met Yahya for the first time and he said to Yahya, what's your name? He said, Yahya. Yahya was only 16. He said to him, become a scholar. He didn't, he didn't disintegrate his ambition, amplified his ambition. So here, Al-Baji is saying, Inshallah, we'll see you again. I hope that we see each other uh, with Allah. And thus we would be reunited with your believing ancestors. Nor would the righteous amongst your forefathers at that time be able to help you. Like the only thing that's going to help that happen is you do what you need to do, I do what I need to do with Allah. He says, my advice to you is divided into two parts. Is everybody okay? It's not too boring. So making sure I can't see after five feet, so you have to forgive me. He said, my advice is divided into two parts and we'll keep it short because of time. First, our Sharia obligation. We should teach our children like we teach them. What are your, what is it? Because Islam is intrinsically linked to me, human. That's why Allah says, Ya ayyuhal nasri, ya ayyuhal muslimun. But he calls us insan because the 
the epitome of being a human being is being Muslim. Now we see what's happening and we're all upset. You know what I realized through this horrible colonial genocide that we're watching is actually we are morally superior to other people. And I don't mean that in a like a patronizing way. Like we expect people to be like us. SubhanAllah, we're from the Wadah Wadah Halib. We're from the ancestors of Ismailis Halib. He's forgiving, he's patient, he's loving. So Muslims were shocked, like, you guys are arguing about killing babies? That's insanity. But I realized something. As someone who wasn't Muslim and became Muslim, we think from a very, very high moral calculus. Wallahi, it's a natman. And we've been beaten up so much that we forgot about this stuff. But now we're seeing things that we're witnessing. No Muslim blood up this to happen. I had a friend one time. His name is Ruh al-Alam. What a day, you know, from Bangladesh. And Ruh al-Alam designed the PS2 back in the days. That, that uh, label, he designed it for Sony. He's like a very hit person at that time. Like he didn't look like he was Muslim, the way he dressed, carried himself. He went to Quds in the 90s. He told me I went to Masjid al-Aqsa and I was praying there. This Palestinian man, he said, come with me. He said, I got scared, you know. The first time you meet Arabs in the Arab world, it's very scary because they're so loving, subhanAllah. And you just can't. Because their moral compass is so high. In Pakistan too, I met up one time and I was studying, memorizing the Quran. This Pashto man, he grabbed me, I thought he kidnapped me. And he took me to this brick hut. And he was like, dude, put the And I was like, what? And he was like, here, yeah. Then he started making dude on the fire. And then he was like, this is an honor to serve Gura Sahib. I was like, what's good? I figured out what God's side mean quick, like white boy, you know? <laughs> but like, I thought I was about to turn up on the nightly news, man, because we have Jeffrey Dahlberg here. You don't have that in the Muslim world. You don't have serial cutters in the Muslim world. You have serial lovers. I, one time, flying from Cairo to Bahrain, me and one person only, there's like two people on a flight, and I had the Hezbo outfit on, and I had no money. The brothers invited me to Bahrain. I was like, you got to meet me at the airport. I have nothing in my bank account. If you're not at the airport, I'm stuck. Oh, Allah, brother, it's a conference. We're going to be there. Alhamdulillah. Of course, they didn't show up. So I'm standing out in front of the airport in Manama at 1 a.m. And that Egyptian guy drives by. The one that was on the plane with me, Ahmed. He's like, I was like, He's like, at the Miskeen, why are you by yourself? And he said, because the brothers ain't here. He pumped me in his car. And he's like, you're going to come. I started getting scared. Well, I went straight white American. No salt on nothing. I was like, oh my God, he's going to keep that. I'm going to die. He's going to do something to me. I'm not going to see you. We'll see like this, you know. Because we think in America, largely the moral, especially the moral calculus is one of fear and intimidation. So people are morally suspect a lot of times. Muslim world, the calculus is like love, care. We forgot this because we've been getting pounded, man. They want to pound the virtue out of us, but they can't. So that brother, I spent the night at his house. And next morning, he made fool, of course. And we're sitting there. He started crying. He's like, my great-grandfather was as honey like you. Allah. And I was like, do I need to pay you? <laughs> like, you know, we stay thing is like so straight. He's like, this is a random, good, you know, shame, shame. And then we became friends. So that 
Brother Ruh al-Adam, then guy took him from Quds, took him to his house, served him tea, brought him, you know, some ma'luba or whatever, kunafa. And then Ruh, he said, I need to go make mudu. And listen to what the Palestinian brother said to him. You're Muslim. He didn't think he was Muslim and still he treated him like that, man. We are a community of high virtue, but we demand justice. We forgot about that part. So now we see what's happening in the world. We hurt because we actually have a very high. Our prophet was sent to what? We are the embodiment of prophetic morality. We are, uh, as Dr. Omar Fulpatullah said, the last vestiges of prophetic akhlaq on the face of a famine to earth when it comes to ethics and morality. So Al-Baji, Rahimahullah, says the first thing I need to teach you are Sharia obligations. We shouldn't teach our children the Sharia obligation. The best person to teach your child how to pray is you. You know what I do with my kids? I'm not a great parent, by the way. I'm, I have my problems. But I purposely make sure I teach them how to pray. I make that a, a freaking field trip, man. My daughters and my boys. My son, his name is, he's named after Malcolm. When I lived in Egypt, I took him to that masjid where Malcolm prays, famous picture, and I taught him to pray at that spot. And I said, this is what I named you after. And I showed him the picture and he started crying. He's only 11. I said, this is who you're named after. And I explained to him who Malik Shabazz was. Again, creating resumes of meaning is important. Is narrated that the Prophet said, he says to his sons, the famous hadith, I'm leaving you with two things. And then Imam al-Baji goes through the Sharia obligations, acts of faith, acts of faith, acts of worship and character. And then he finishes by talking about the Sahaba and the righteous and respecting ulama, and respecting elders and being a person of character and zakat and charity and Ramadan. The last thing, and I'm skimping, it's a lot, so we won't have time to go through all of it, is he talks about learning. We are a community of learning, subhanAllah. The word ilm appears more in the Quran than any other word in its derivatives. So he finishes by talking about living a life of learning and spending your time it grows to the education. Doesn't mean to learn scholarship. At my school, we tell people you're not here to become a scholar. You're here to be functional. What do you mean functional or just literacy? Not dysfunctional attempts at scholarship. And so he talks about how knowledge is a means to a goal. And that goal, as Imam al-Ghazali says, is to, to worship and to be connected to Allah. Knowledge in, the, in our epistemology and nomenclature is not just cognition, it's living. So Ibn Abbas, when he was asked what is knowledge, he said to be reverent. And then he talks about what to learn, and he goes through some details on that, and then he finishes because an hour is up, mentioning to them how he actually traveled. Like, I bet you went to Baghdad. From Andalusia to Baghdad, that's quite a journey. And he mentions some of his trials and efforts, challenges and struggles to achieve knowledge. And we live in a society now that honestly rewards and celebrates and lauds stupidity. The more dumb you are, the more exhibitionist you are, 
the more you reward it. But we see it now. Whereas Islam locates our value on being knowledgeable and practitioners of that knowledge. To be knowledgeable and not to be a practitioner of it is maktubi alayhim. To practice without knowledge is a body. To learn and to practice is an amtaadihim. So he finishes. Then he gets into some issues of aflaq, immorality, sexual deviancy. Then he talks about the dangers of shaitan. And finally he says to them that you have to seek what is lawful. We are a community. This is what I worry about the influencer era. We have never been a community that chases fame. We are a community that chases virtue. That's very different. Run after what's good. I was with a brother a few weeks ago. I haven't seen him in a long time. We're sitting together at a restaurant. He keeps looking at his phone like a lot, you know. So I said to him, hey man, is family okay? He's like, oh no, I posted this thing. I should make sure people like it. Like, so you're just like counting the likes? I'm like, I haven't seen you in like six years. I don't like you. I, I'm, I'm going to post it, but I don't like you. Right? I, I was tempted to do it, by the way. So he keeps looking, I was like, I do not like you. The guy in front of him. Right? But unfortunately, because of how it's commodified, Facebook sent me a message last summer. Imagine if you have a 13-year-old kid in this habit that I meant. They sent me a message that said, if you post this many times, in the next three months, we will give you $30,000. I need $30,000 for real. I got kids in college. That'll buy some books. So then I said to my wife, the number of times I have to post would make it impossible for me to actually think and filter through the, the content. Like, I would just have to post it. So I'm uncensored. I'm unethical. I'm just dumping stuff out there like crazy, right? I'm commodified, a commodified influencer. Sheikh, he's saying here something very important to his children. Seek what is virtuous. Don't seek attention. Don't chase after fame. Chase after virtue. That will lead to success. And then he says, and make sure that your income is halal. And that what you spend is halal and avoid the doubtful and beware of oppressing anyone because it will come back to haunt you in the hereafter. The oppressor is blamed by creation and detested by, the, by creatures. Shun situations of disgrace, whether you both dread to be associated with it, you should avoid it. And finally, he says, Rahimahullah, and again, because of time, be careful with leisure. Right now, we had a webinar of Quran. There was this one brother, he would always make like catastrophic mistakes. The catastrophic mistake is the first verse. Our teacher would say, if you make a first, our we were Generation Z, so forgive me, a little different era, a little tougher. But he used to say, if you make a mistake in the first verse, leave. Go home. How? Like, I didn't expect the first verse. Right? So, consequently, we always would make a mistake because we're scared in the first verse, right? But this guy, like, consistently. And so, finding the Sheikh, he said to him, Sheikh Ahmed from Salah, 
brother, why, why do you always make mistakes? He said, chef, I've been chilling. Shit said, you're going to chill till you thaw in hell. It's a tough statement, but he didn't forget the Lord. After that, he, he was down. After that, you see, yeah, every day. No mistakes. So beside, no mistakes. My ain't no mistakes. Sometimes we need to be checked. So the sheikh, he, he spent some time and veggie on things like wasting your time on games and chess and dice, music, plants. Doesn't mean that these things are bad. What he means is that they take you away from what you need to be ultimately the primary responsibilities. Those things are important too, don't get me wrong, but they need to be disciplined. I have a friend of mine, he's 46 years old. He's not married, never been married. No offense to anyone. But this is a unique person. He still lives at home with his parents. And I, he always complains to me about Muslim women. Ah, these Muslim women, there's no Muslim, good Muslim women out there. Da, 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 right? So I said to him, hey, man, how do you spend your day? He told me I spend seven hours a day playing video games. I said, you don't need to be blaming Muslim women. You need to be blaming PlayStation 2, bro. Like, seven hours? And this nice guy, I said, why don't you take some of those hours to try to put yourself in a position to find and build a family? Shig is saying, you know, when he's talking about this, he means, we have to be careful with our young people, that leisure certainly is a reward, but it needs to be disciplined because it will take over and remove what's our priority. That's what he's getting at here. And then he finishes, Rahimahullah, because of time. And he says, you know, I, I have delivered this message to you. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take care of you. We just won't have time to finish it all, but inshallah. Uh, again, he said, I run an online school. If you're interested, it's like $9 a month, man. Like two frappuccinos. Uh, you support Islamic scholarship. You, you support our ability to work on texts like this to bring them to the community. But also, like, we bring a lot of good. We have a lot of young people um, who go out through really significant challenges. We have even psychiatrists there who can help. Uh, you have a pedagogy that's important, and it's a great supplement to your on-the-ground Islamic kind of studies. That's like we try to make sure all of our teachers have a background in education and Islamic studies. So if you visit join or just visit my website, swayabook.com, we appreciate anyone that wants to sign up. I have some cards I forgot to bring them. I don't know if I could pass them out, but that has the uh, barcode in my bag. But if you're interested, you can. It's in my bag. If you just open it, you'll see. Just don't look at anything that I don't want you to see. <laughs> Joking. I think, other than that, if there's any questions or comments, uh, I'll turn it over to Principal Saad, a butter glow feed. Jazakallah.